and welcome to episode 78 of the Night Gallery podcast. The story we're talking about tonight is was originally broadcast on March the 1st, 1972. It was written by Rod Serling, but was actually adapted from a, uh, a short story called Boomerang, which was uh, written by Oscar Cook, directed by the, the golden boy of Night Gallery, Geno Swark. And it's a story that stays with you. It uh, leaves lingering impressions on the brain, which is ironic, really, because this story is about a very hungry caterpillar. Good evening. I'm your little old curator in this museum which we call the Night Gallery. There are horror stories and horror stories, elements of terror that take myriad forms. But this item has a built-in terror which can refrigerate even the most dispassionate amongst us. It has to do with a little beastie known as an earwig. A small bug that crawls into the human ear. And while inside, it doesn't whisper sweet nothings. It performs quite another function. Offered to you now on Night Gallery. A brand new nightmare which we call the Caterpillar. Our tale begins in Borneo. It's 20th century, early 20th century, and we're very much in a British colony. There is a man there who has come for work. His name is Stephen Macy. He's played by uh, Lawrence Harvey. Macy is uh, there to assist in the the harvest of a plantation of a tobacco crop by uh, by a gentleman uh, whose name was John Warwick. Now, John has a wife, a, a far younger woman than himself, uh, a woman called Rona. And um, our man Stephen really likes Rona and wants her at any cost. He's willing to do questionable things for her, that is certain. And not, not only that, his ardour for her is increased by the fact that she makes it very clear that she does not want him. She does not fancy him or find attractive and she's very dedicated to her husband that said that makes Stephen want to be with her even more John is completely oblivious to what's happening he can't see that uh, what, what's going on he can't see that Rona is sugaring off the advances what he but a different another man is watch very aware of this Don Knight plays the character of Tommy Robinson, uh, an old ex-crim from uh, the from the UK, who is busy avoiding any kind of trouble he can. But he sees the opportunity to make uh, a deal with Stephen. He says to Macy, "Listen, I've got an idea. Why don't you meet me in a bar and we can discuss it?" So they meet in a very seedy bar. And Tommy's idea is a unique one, but one that is incredibly grim and very nasty. He speaks of an earwig, a caterpillar. Something that is feared and loathed in the, in the region. This caterpillar can eat through the brain. And as it does so, it leads to an agonising, slow painful death Tommy says not only can he acquire the earwig he will also get other people 
to do the deed for him. In fact, not, it's the, the the separation is so great that it, it that Macy is no wouldn't have no problems with being arrested. He wouldn't be arrested because somebody else would be doing the deed. Macy is frightened by the idea, but seems keen, and agrees effectively to lose his humanity, sell his soul, and commit the murder. A what? An earwig. A kind of caterpillar. A thing almost as fine as a spider's web. It lives on wax, feeds on the innards of flowers, and it has a decided liking for the human ear. The natives here about, they have a a distinct terror of it, they do. You see, it moves and it rests so lightly on a human being that one is practically unconscious of it. Now, if you were to place one of these earwigs in a man's ear, just above his ear, well, once in the ear, it's a thousand to one chance of it ever coming out the same way again. You see, Mr. Macy, uh, it can't turn round. Backing out is impossible. So it continues to feed as it goes. And it crawls right inside of the head. With the result that you can't know. Think of it, Mr. Mason. Think of it. Ultimately, it reaches the prey. With the result that... Uh, that's the end of it. It's the next morning. And um, sure enough, the deed has been done. Or at least Stephen Macy hopes the deed has been done. He can't tell yet. He's unaware. He goes downstairs and has breakfast with the always convenial Warwick. Says to him, well, he keeps an eye on him, tries to look for signs that the the earwig has got being put into place. And instead of well, he's got an infernal itch in his ear. He's, he can feel something inside. And Warwick shows no signs of anything. He's in a, in, a, in a polite, friendly, happy mood. But when our man Macy puts a handkerchief to his ear, he pulls it away and finds blood. And the realisation stri- stri- strikes him. He's stricken with horror and fear. He realises that the men who'd committed the crime had done it. The wrong house and the the antagonist, the man who wanted the murder, is now in fact the victim. He freaks out, understandably, and panics and starts screaming. A doctor's called for, but there's no reason, there's no point to that that doctor being there. And the reason for that is the fact that it's too late. Once the earwig goes into the brain, it can't come out again. It can only go forwards, eating its way through his head. His agony goes on for weeks. As it eats away, the pain is uncontrollable. His hands are tied and bound to stop him from clawing at his own face and his own ears and to cause himself even more damage. He spends the weeks in agony. But a miracle happens. The earwig eats his way through what, through basically through his head and he sees no apparent problems he has no um, lingering effects from the damage he goes to speak to Warwick after this ordeal is over and Warwick says 
you can go. Just leave. He's off. He's quite off put, offish. But he goes, I, I'm not going to phone the police. You go back to your home and you you make peace. And then the reality comes. And he finds out exactly why Warwick is so forgiving and so kind and so merciful. The doctor arrives and explains that the earwig was female and it was pregnant and it almost certainly laid its eggs within his head and as Macy realises what's happened the horror of it engulfs him and he screams again I took a look at the earwig that came out I killed it, as a matter of fact. I squeezed it. Rona, I think you'd better leave. It was a female, that earwig. A female. And a female lays eggs. So I suppose it's about time that I explained exactly how I got into Night Gallery in the first place. It was through this story. This was the one that stood out for me. Um, as I was shown not... Um, I suppose in the same way a lot, of, a lot of our friends in America would have watched it in syndicated episodes, random episodes, bitty, not necessarily in an order. This is, was show, <coughs> shown to me on its own on a video and it was it stuck with me that image of uh, Lawrence Harvey tied to a bed with his mouth open and like sweat and fear and agony as he screams silently as this earwig chews through his head is so grim and so so dark but at the same time it's something that you can you know it's TV it's it's American television it, you know I I don't know what the rating is over in the states. I know you, you guys do not not rate the stuff, but in the UK, it's you know it's a twelve certificate. It's not a you know it's something you can show to teenagers, but it's so grim and so dark. You think well, maybe maybe I shouldn't. Maybe it's just too much. It's great TV horror, and um, as I was saying, because basically it happens in your head. I mean, it <laughs> the irony, of course, being it happens in actual fact in Macy's head. But you don't see the gore, and that's why it works so well. The the clip. I mean, I'm not on my own when I say this is something that is that was highlighted. Uh, Stephen King in his book *Dance Macabre* describes it as one of the best TV horror moments ever. The actual quote, in fact, is that um, one of the most frightening ever telecast on TV. And indeed, I think it's true. It's frightening because of what you don't see. The concept, the idea, it's something you could all imagine, but 
you couldn't ever get your head around exactly the damage that it does. And I think that's where it really works. Um, I mean, a lot of the reason for that, obviously, is uh, Rod Serling's script. You see, the short story is based on Boomerang, was written by Oscar Cook, who was a British writer. Uh, but his his work tends to be... Um, well, the, this particular story doesn't quite have the, the humanistic elements as much. It's very much, you know, you're in the jungle, there's great horror happening, uh, and then something nasty happens. Whereas... What um, Salem did, especially, and he did it really well, was bring out the humanistic nature to it. And that's the reason why they got such a heavyweight to play the role of Macy in Lawrence Harvey, a man who was riding high with, like, you know, still, like, room at the top and Manchurian Candidate and that kind of stuff. Um, Janice Walk, in a, in a quote, says that it was the power of Salem's words that uh, made the difference for Harvey and his wife a man who didn't really need to be on TV and do TV roles was attracted to it. He says, we've got a lot of people for Night Gallery that you don't normally go forget for TV, like Michael Dorn or Geraldine Page and Lawrence Harvey. And I think the main reason was the quality of the material. Lawrence Harvey told me they didn't want to do The Caterpillar at first, but then he read it. He said, you know, I've got to tell you that this is one of the best scripts I've read anywhere. The dialogue was terrific. It was original. And I thought for that, the psychological relationships were wonderful. It was good stuff. I mean, certainly it's interesting. It's more interesting in terms of the relationships than normally a lot of this kind of stuff. Because normally you have, like, you know, a guy saying, you know, it, it, a less, when a lesser writer, the relationship between Rona and Macy would have been far more obvious, far easier. Rona would have basically be like some kind of harlot who was desperately like after after you know whatever Macy's money or excitement and um, but in Salem's script he makes it far more that she is just somebody who is you know upset and doesn't really you know hates Macy really hates him but Macy is so smitten with the concept and the idea of having you know this affair with her that he's willing to take a risk, kill somebody and also on a chance that she will never go to him anyway. And I think that's a very fascinating aspect of Macy's character. Uh, and it's certainly in, in the writing is, is very interesting. Um, the reason why Joanna Pettit, who played Rona, was chosen effectively was because Hare and, Lauren, and Lawrence Harvey were friends. They used to uh, party in the UK in the 60s. So they were kind of happy to, to be with each other in terms of work. And it's kind of, you know, trying to make it effectively as as warm and welcoming for Harvey as possible. I think that's probably the fairest way to say it. Um, they had, you know, it seemed like there was a lot of fun to be had while it was made. A lot of the time uh, you talk about, uh, you know, we, we spoke about problems in, like, even talking about you recently, Sins of the Fathers, that there was, there was issues on set. There isn't a lot of talk about that kind of thing. Um, apparently Harvey was uh, had a had a had a kind of a, a a wit to him. He was kind of a sharp tongued gentleman. He was forty three when he made it, so he was kind of you know he was a mature man with a with a colt with an eye. I think that's fair to say. And he didn't want to do TV because um, how badly he's treated. The quick turnarounds, the fast work, 
and uh, the way you're not treated that well. So he's, you know, he was apparently they were they were in like basically wooden shacks uh, rather than dressing rooms, and uh, I think he must have felt that he'd uh, t- taken a step back in his career. But you know, this was a big TV show. Serlin's words had brought him over, and he was more than happy to be involved with that. It's interesting, actually, you know, they took a lot of cash. You'd spend a lot of cash on Sins of the Fathers on the set, and they'd done it again with with this. The set was huge. I mean, massive. And that's that's interesting in itself, but, I mean, a, a huge, big, massive set. Um, there was rain. It looks like the jungle. I mean, it's quite... It is an element of staginess to it, but for me, it creates... An almost timeless quality. When I was talking about the fact that uh, when I first saw it, I didn't know it was made in the early 70s. I didn't know anything about Rod Salen's impact or inputs. I mean, you know, he was at the the front of it introducing it, but I didn't know. I mean, I was young and I didn't realise exactly the impact he had made um, and the man that he was. So and I, I so I didn't even know. It just felt like the story had been dropped out of nowhere. Effectively, that it was um, that it was a, a film of of this thing, and it could have been made in the early seventies, in color in the sixties, in the eighties. It was it was it was only you know afterwards once I, I found out a bit more about it and I'd, I'd, I'd gone back and paid attention to it that I was really enthralled by what it what it could achieve and the reason for that is it's a simple story well told not just the dialogue of the characters but it builds its pace brilliantly until that final horrific denouncement and you know that's that's work really I mean Ignoring what Joe Alves did with the set, uh, which was incredible. I mean, the thing, it rains on set. Ignoring that, con- focusing on, you know, it feels like a monsoon that's happening. But ignoring that, ignoring the fantastic work of, cin- you know, the cinematography that went in from uh, Gerald Perry Finneman to be able to. Finneman's skill on this was to create it. A heat and a warmth, and the coldness and the light when um, when our man Macy is in agony in bed is is huge. I would say it really focuses the mind, but also it it, it builds. You know, what I mean, you can, it's a thirty minute story, and it builds slow, and it gets to you know the the mountain horror, and the concept is so strong that you know when our man Macy gets his just desserts. It's so horrendous that you feel sorry for him. I mean, that's and that's the power of this grim, dark tone, despite the heat and the warmth and the humidity that comes off it. It's a, it's 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 sticky and it's clawing in its tone and and its feel. And I think that's what really makes it stand out. It is a fantastically well put piece, and the score as well. I mean, the score is tries to give a tone of the place and, and unlike some of possibly the more the earlier efforts the um, you know Eddie Sorter with the music that he created gives it a, a sense of time of place and of purpose but also manages to create a story that um, you know the, the, a music that doesn't feel cliched it doesn't feel you know 
like you're in Africa, there's bongo drums, that kind of stuff. It has a bit more to it than that. I spoke about Lawrence Harvey and you know what? It's very easy to be quite clawing and come up with this. I mean, this is this. He was at the peak of his powers at this stage, and he was a fantastic actor. Sadly, obviously, I mean, if you if you know anything about him, he died two years later from cancer. Um, and I've read online like tributes, and they've been you know they're quite lovely tributes, but drawn quite a, a grim comparison between the two. And I, I want. And I read it and I, I found it quite offensive, really. Um, I know it's very easy to kind of go, you know, well, he was eaten on the inside out within this story and then, you know, the cancer element. I only bring it up because um, I was surprised with some of the people that wrote it. and uh, I don't think it's got a place. But as I was saying, he was at the peak of his powers and a, and a wonderful, wonderful writer. A, a writer, a wonderful actor. Um, it's what I would say about the eating from the inside thing is it the concept of a parasite in horror pops out all the time. I mean, creep show with cockroaches that's very much an insecty kind of thing. <laughs> you could say, um, the uh, Scott Skelton Jim Benson book mentions Wrath of Khan, you know. <laughs> When uh, the uh, the little the little worm gets in the ear and it controls them, and I suppose there's a there's an element to that, which is interesting. But I I think it is true that all this horror, is, you know, the concept that there's an alien body within you. I mean, that's anything from the Exorcist to you know, the thing with five fingers. You know, a, a foreign body possessing you, and the concept of insects and bugs. Funnily enough, speaking of Exodus Freakin's bug, that idea that it's inside the skin and inside your, your body and there's not much you can do is, is you know, a reoccurring theme for a lot of horror uh, right through to this day. I mean, these days, that kind of stuff tends to be quite grim and dark and very violent, like uh, uh, the book The Ruins, for example, which is, you know, focuses very much on the harsh, morbid, macabre elements of this violence and doesn't really want to give up on that stuff and kind of revels in the um, in the body horror. Uh, you know, the Cronenberg almost, like the fly or something like that, you know. The, the, but with this, there's, well, there's a simplicity to it and mainly because, uh, I think I've said already, but Harvey's um, ability to you know, to contort the face, to make you feel the pain, to make him a likeable character, because even though Macy is is a monster who basically pays for someone to, to kill. I mean, that's that's where that's all he does really. And you know, his just desserts are his just desserts, and you know, he he suffers the fate he was oh so quick to, to bestow on somebody else. Um. Interestingly enough, and I think this is also true, I mean, you know, I don't know if you would realise this, but obviously, unsurprisingly, there isn't an earwig that can bury, that can burrow into your brain. But if you're going to talk legitimate, rather than the fact that that doesn't exist anyway, there isn't that kind of parasite. It's not even a parasite, is it? Because it's not symbiotic. It just kind of eats your brain inside out. Um, it doesn't even... It, the, the, it, poor old... Uh, well, it's an interesting way to put it. If it happens, if this was possible, 
Macy wouldn't feel anything. I mean, he would, you know, he'd lose his mind, he'd go into a coma and he would die. But he wouldn't feel any pain uh, because there's no nerve ends in your brain. You just kind of, you kind of die. Um, I know this from, you know, experience from family. But the what's interesting is that maybe, just maybe, it isn't actually happening as much or as he imagines it. Maybe not only is the earwig in his mind, but maybe the thought of it is the thing that's causing him such upset, such unhappiness, and such pain. I asked for if anyone had any feedback. I mean, I know they do a lot, a lot, but a, a guy called uh, Mr. Dubcraft, who has got some great, fantastic art on our, on our website, um, he kind of mentioned that uh, on, on Twitter that, you know, how how the story's brought to life with dark and dramatic splendour and um, I think that's an interesting way to look at it in terms of well hey, the story is, is changed a bit but the, the splendour of it it's so lush and so warm so warm, and, I, and I'm glad that he, he mentioned that made me think, you know, see it in terms of splendour it's such a it's such a, it's such a grand vision with its huge sets and it's, it's still and you know, performances from fantastic actors. That it's, um, it really does. It's, for me personally, it ma- it massively stands out. And the the caterpillar is a story that sets itself apart from a lot of the other night galleries, just because it's one of the few times where everything works all the elements come together perfectly and it's the purest element I think of Night Gallery from taking a, a weird fiction story to getting the best director for the tale for Rod Salen to weave his magic and add something and give it more characterization to the best actors to a fantastic set to the fact that it's made for TV so it doesn't have it doesn't need to rely on gore and shocks. It relies on the shock and the fear and the horror of strong acting, brilliant writing, and a very, very nasty twist in the tale. I'm not soliciting an assassination. Assassination? Oh, come now, you gentlemen. Assassination? I shudder at the very word. The thought of a killing palpitates me is what it does. Sends shivers up and down my body. Oh, no, Mr. Macy. No, nothing as bloody and violent as all of that. Right, I think I've gushed enough about the, ca- the caterpillar. Um, it's such a wonderful story, and I'm so pleased that uh, I'm assuming if you're listening to this, you're as much a fan as I am. Uh, and you know, the recommendations of others has meant that I, I've done this podcast the last two years, and we're kind of heading into end game temperature certainly we are for um, season 2 because next week is the last episode of season story for episode 2 little girl lost if you want to get hold of me please do I'd love to hear you know I love to hear your opinions and your facts and if there's any way we can weave into the the podcast uh, some feedback that would be lovely as well uh, email me chris at the twilightzone network.com uh, you can go to our website www 
thetwilightzonenetwork.com. All our articles are on there. It's certainly lots to, to digest and lots of great stuff. I mentioned our art section, the gallery section, which got pieces that Mr. Dubcraft sent in to us. And um, uh, those are influenced not just by Night Gallery, but also by, um, by Twilight Zone and there's some fantastic work in there there's a the picture of the eye of the beholder which is exceptional he's a, he's a great he's a great art, uh, painter he's a great fantastic painter and obviously you know with night gallery in particular it's, it's great that he you know that 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 artistry the paintings and those artworks influence him um oh and you can also get hold of me on my private twitter which is at orange underscore monkey so until next week take care and i will speak to you soon Goodbye.